Well, good evening. We <clears throat> begin uh, this evening a study in corporate prayer meetings, and so there's not a, a single text that we'll be looking at, but there be, will be a time where you can follow me through some texts. As we begin this study, I wanted to, uh, by way of introduction, say something of the need for this study. Why study corporate prayer meetings? <clears throat> A Barna research group found that 94% of American adults who have prayed at least once in the last three months have done so by themselves. And their study is called Silent and Solo, How Americans Pray. And the study noted this, Prayer is by far the most common spiritual practice among Americans, but people mostly pray alone. It is a solitary activity defined primarily by the immediate needs and concerns of the individual. Corporate prayer and corporate needs are less compelling drivers in people's lives. Paul Miller, who recently wrote a book on a a praying church, noted uh, this on this study. The American church is functionally prayerless when it comes to corporate prayer. The prayer meeting, which used to function at the heart of a praying church, is all but dead. Wednesday night prayer meeting used to be the core meeting where the most dedicated spiritual people attended. Now, for many, the prayer meeting itself is a distant memory. He further notes, In every period of church history, you discover a praying church. In fact, up until the last 50 years, corporate prayer in some form has been a central feature of the church. We, that is America and the West, are the first generation in 2,000 years to have lost this vision of the church as a house of prayer. And I remember my friend from India, who is my roommate in seminary, uh, his He would often say in commenting on the American church, and particularly American Reformed church, that what they have for theology and preaching they lack in prayer. There was a lack of prayer. And as we look at our spiritual landscape of our nation and Western culture, I can't help but think that part of the reason for the lack of the church's great spiritual effectiveness on our nation is that we have failed to gather corporately to pray. We don't lack programs, budgets, buildings, and in many cases, biblical preaching, but we do lack united efforts to pray. The church itself is filled with much dullness and spiritual compromise. So we should take to heart what Spurgeon told his congregation years ago. Brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. Now I must caveat at the beginning of this study that my goal is to be maybe more comprehensive beyond our immediate needs of a congregation. And so in one sense, we're, we're a step ahead because we still have a prayer meeting, uh, and that is an anomaly even, sadly, in our society. 
And so not everything is directly uh, applicable, but nevertheless, we still breathe this foul air that has blown over our Western culture, and we may find areas of infection in our own lives and congregations that this study must address. So my my goal and hope is that we would uh, learn something uh, from this. I have three sermons that I want to do. This is the scope of this study, uh, 1B in your outline there. The scope of this study. Tonight we look at the biblical basis of the corporate prayer meeting. And I'm seeking to answer the question tonight. Does the New Testament command and encourage corporate prayer meetings? So that's what we'll look at tonight. Uh, Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the biblical blessing or fruit of the prayer meeting, which will seek to answer the question, what happens when the church prays corporately? And we'll see all sorts of blessing and fruit comes when the church gathers to pray. And finally, there'll be a message called the biblical building blocks or structure of the corporate prayer meeting. And that will seek to answer, how is a prayer meeting to be conducted? And that will be more practical in in how, how do we have an effective prayer meeting. So my hope is in, in, in this is that the Lord will use these studies to increase our conviction of the goodness of the prayer meeting and, and increase our effectiveness in it. A couple resources were helpful in this is uh, Pastor Martin's Volume 3 of his Pastoral Theology has uh, several chapters on corporate prayer meetings and a book that I mentioned previously by Paul Miller called A Praying Church. I'll use much of their material in these studies. So now we come to tonight's study, the biblical basis of the prayer meeting. Does the New Testament command and encourage corporate prayer meetings? We, we want to be Bible people. We want to do what the Bible says Uh, So if the Bible commands a corporate prayer meeting, we should have a corporate prayer meeting. And if the Bible commands a corporate prayer meeting and we have a corporate prayer meeting, we should be unapologetic about our obedience to God's word. Pastor Martin, answering the question of the pastoral epistles, but could be of all of the New Testament, is do these letters emphasize the necessity of corporate prayer? And he says when we examine them, we find an overwhelming affirmative. And so I'll answer the question from the get-go here. It is my conviction, along with many others, that the New Testament clearly commands that the church gather corporately for prayer. And so how I'll seek to do that is I want to survey the New Testament uh, briefly to show that this is a clear command. But before we go there, something must be said of corporate versus individual Christianity. American Christianity has in many ways imbibed American individualism. It values the, the individual over the group. And so now the church is seen uh, as a bunch of individuals. It's lost its corporate identity. We, we see this in sort of the me and Jesus Christianity. I have my Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. Why do I need the, the church? 
uh, or I'll use the church insofar as it's helpful to me, but, but with me and the Bible and the Spirit, uh, what, what else uh, do I need? And so church membership, church commitment becomes marginalized or peripheral or, or dismissed even totally. Instead of individuals forgoing their personal interests and submitting to the church and its leaders and its interests corporately, the church has now has to cater to the individual uh, to make them happy. The church is now a service to all of individual needs. But as we get, examine the New Testament, we have, we have this corporate identity. Yes, the church is made up of individuals personally redeemed by our Savior and indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But it is often discusses these individuals in corporate language. Even the name, even the, the word for the church, it's the, it's the assembly. It's the called out ones, or better, the called together ones. The church, that is, is, is the, the name by which we go by. As we read the New Testament epistles, it's written, written to the church. It has the church corporately in mind. When we read passages on, the, on redemption, for instance, in Acts 20.28, 20, Paul uh, is charging the Ephesians elders to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. There is a corporate dimension here. We see this in the, the idea of the metaphor that the church is a body. It, it functions together. A hand can't function on its own apart from the body. An ear can't function or a leg can't function on its own apart from the body. It is a, it is a unified uh, entity. And so is the church. So as we come to this study, we have to be open to corporate language of the New Testament when we talk about corporate prayer meetings. In fact, as Pastor Martin notes, most of the commands dealing with prayer in the Bible are second-person plural. They're talking to the church. So when we talk about corporate prayer, that is different from individual prayer. Corporate prayer is different from the prayer you do in your own devotions or even in your own family. We're talking about the assembly, the church, and there is something unique about the assembly, the body of Christ coming together for prayer. And so that's what we're seeking to do. Now I want to move on to the New Testament evidence and we'll, we'll just sort of go through uh, some text here. I'm not trying to be comprehensive, uh, but just try to zone in on a few key texts that I think make it clear uh, that uh, we should have corporate prayer. So under uh, <clears throat> Roman numeral 3a there, let's look at the Gospels. Something should be familiar of that in, in uh, <clears throat> And it was noted in Sunday school as well, the second person plural directives, which was brought out in, in some of our reading. And we have to remember in our, when we studied the Lord's Prayer, what, what does the Lord's Prayer uh, give us? Our Father, uh, forgive us. Jesus said, when you pl- pray plural, we, we noted that there was a corporate dimension even to the Lord's Prayer. Paul Miller notes, Jesus is showing his disciples in the Lord's Prayer how to pray together. 
We assume that the disciples meant teach us to pray individually, but clearly Jesus was responding to the missing request. Teach us to pray together. What we call the Lord's Prayer is our prayer for praying together. So there is a corporate directive, even in the Lord's Prayer. When you all pray together, pray like this. In Luke 11.9, which was, which was read for us, this is after the Lord's Prayer in, in Luke's Gospel. And I tell you all, plural, ask and it will be given to you all, plural. Seek and you, you all will find. Knock and it will be open to you all, plural. And so that's not clear uh, in English, but it is clear in the original text. So as, as, as Jesus discusses, as Jesus commands prayer, it's given in a second person plural directive that it's, it's you, you all, not you and you and you and you. It's when you all pray. And that's not to say that in the Lord's Prayer or in any of these, it's, it's, it has no individual application to our devotional life. But, but in only doing that, we miss this corporate dimension of it, which is clearly there. So we see the second person plural directives. Uh, Secondly, here we go to Matthew 18. We looked at this in Sunday school. Just uh, by way of review, I'll read verse 18 to 20 again. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Once again, these are plurals. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And much could be said about this text, but what I want to say is two points. First, this text assumes corporate prayer. It assumes it. It says... uh, in verse 19, I say to you, if two of you agree on, on earth about anything they ask. So Jesus is assuming that, that we are coming together and asking things of God. We are coming uh, together. And so uh, it assumes that you and I will gather together as the church to pray. And secondly, it, it, God promises his presence and special answer to our prayers in such meetings. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Jesus, Where is Jesus? Jesus is present particularly where his church is gathered to pray and to seek answers from him. If you two agree on earth about anything else, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. There's a special promise of God's answer to our prayers as we come together, unified in, in biblical, godly prayers that we give to God. We're promised answers to those. That's not given outside of this context. So God's presence is there. So if God promises, if such a promise is given about the gathering of two in his name and his answer to that, is not the meeting itself assumed? 
Is it not assumed that you all are coming together in prayer if God is giving a special promise to hear and answer and be present in those times? So what do we learn from the Gospels? There is a clear conviction and assumption that God's people will gather in prayer together, and when they do, God promises His special presence and answer to these prayers. We move on to Be There Acts. Let's look at the book of Acts together, and you may want to look there with me. You can turn to Acts chapter 1. Now the Acts, it's not a didactic text, it's not an epistle, so it's, uh, it's, it's explaining to us what did the early church do. So if they set the example of gathering in prayer, should not we model uh, their uh, example of gathering in prayer? So we'll look at several examples here. Look at verse 14, this was read for us. Jesus is ascended. The disciples returned to Jerusalem. They went up into the upper room, the disciples, some women, Jesus' brothers. In verse 14 it says, All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So here's this pre Pentecost church, and as they gather, what do we find them doing? Preaching? Singing? Having a potluck meal? No, they're praying together. And notice, everyone is praying. All these with one accord. The, the, the apostles, the women, the brothers, they were all praying together. This is true corporate prayer. Everyone is involved. Paul Miller notes, when Luke gives us a sermon in the book of Acts, we get a preacher. But when Luke describes a prayer meeting, we get the whole church. It's the whole church that prays. So the the whole church is gathered praying here. And the central activity of the churches coming together is in prayer. Turn over to Acts 2, verse 42. Once again, we get a little summary of of what are the disciples doing, what are these early Christians doing as they come together. And in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Central to what they did when they come together was Pray. Turn over to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Remember, Peter and John were arrested. They're, they're told not to preach in Jesus' name, and they're, they're sent out. And in verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they just got out of prison, they report it back to the church, and then what, do they, what does the church do? And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together with God, and they begin to pray. Turn over with me, and one more passage in Acts chapter 12.
Peter, James is killed by Herod. Peter is arrested. So, so this is a very uh, dangerous time. It's getting serious now. That a critical person in the church is now dead. That to be a Christian now, it, it, it's, it's quite clear, it could cost you your life. And now Peter himself is arrested, an apostle. What does the church do in such a precarious situation? 12 verse 5. So when Peter was in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Peter's in prison. What is the church doing for him? Praying. Verse, look at verse 12 of this passage. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where they were gathered together and were, were praying. So we see specifically here where the church is praying. So the church gathers together, and central to what they do when they come together is pray. Pastor Martin quotes Bannerman in a, in a paragraph here that summarizes this section. The inner life of the church after the ascension of her Lord went on as it had begun in an atmosphere of prayer and praise. From the opening scene of the 120 in the upper chamber, all with one accord, steadfastly in prayer, to the closing scene in this section, in this section of the history, where we see many gathered together in the house of Mary, praying, the voice of united prayer rises continually in the apostolic church. It is the unfailing resource in every difficulty and emergency in the church's affair in the choice of an apostle, in the training of young converts, in the appointment of the seven, in the consolidation of the church among the Samaritans for the success of the apostles' ministry in Jerusalem when Peter and John are forbidden by the Sanhedrin to speak in the name of Jesus, when Peter is lying chained to Herod's prison to be put to death on the morrow. What do we see? An atmosphere of prayer and praise. The voice of united prayer rises continually in the apostolic church. So what do we learn from the book of Acts about corporate prayer? Well, we learn that it's central to the church's activities. If, if you were to read the book of Acts for the first time and you were trying to answer the question, what did the church do? You would have to say, after reading, clearly, centrally, they prayed. So it's clear that they pray. It's clear that prayer is central. Corporate prayer is central. To, to, it, it doesn't say in Acts, you know, this person's praying in his house, and this person's praying in her house. This, they are coming together in a united effort to pray. And, and who prays? The whole church prays. Everyone is involved in corporate prayer. So that is the book of Acts. Uh, C here is the epistles. And first I want to see is general corporate prayer directives. And once again, I want us to get a feel of, of this 
second person plural. It's, it's an address to the second person plural. So all I'm going to read a bunch of text here uh, that you just maybe jot down the reference. And all of these are written in a, in a second person plural. It's directed to a, a plural group, not to an individual. And what they, they have here is Paul is giving, or, or, an, or an author is giving, a directive to prayer, and he's giving it corporately. He's giving it to the church. <clears throat> and here they are, Romans 12, 12. Be const- you all, be constant in prayer. Romans 15, 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Strive together, you all, brethren, in your prayers for me. 2 Corinthians 1.11 You all also help us by prayer. Ephesians 6.18 Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's a plural directive. Philippians 1.9 For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 4.6 of Philippians, don't be anxious. You all don't be anxious, but in prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 4, 2-3, You all continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. You all pray without ceasing. Hebrews 13, 8, You pray for us. Interesting, in the book of Revelation, we have this vision of the golden bowls in Revelation 5.8, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So the prayers of the saints are seen in heaven as a corporate entity that rise to God. So many more of those could, be, could have been read. But, but hopefully that is, that is clear that there is this general corporate dimension when prayer is given a directive. Secondly, we have the, what I'm calling the we prayers. <clears throat> Two examples here, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Paul says, but we pray to God that you may not uh, do wrong, that you may... That not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we, is, though we may seem to have failed. And then verse 9, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. So Paul is not just saying, I'm praying for you. Whoever is traveling with him, we are united in praying for you, Corinthians. Our desire is we pray for your restoration. So Paul practiced corporate prayer. One more on this line is Colossians 1, verse 3. We also thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus, when we 
pray for you. And then verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We all are praying for you all. So these we prayers. So we see corporate prayer is central to the life of the church. There is this back and forth between the apostle in his group and the churches with uh, which he's writing of we pray, you pray, we're all united in prayer. And then thirdly under this category, we see that the corporate prayer meeting is explicitly commanded. And that, this is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Well, verse 1, really. We'll touch on this text more in future studies, but just by way of comment. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and and thanksgiving be made for all people. Remember, in Sunday school, Mark helpfully showed us this was given to the church. These are directives given to the church. So Paul is, is saying, church, as a part of your worship, I want supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings being made for all people. I want you to come together and to pray for these things. And and particularly in verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And I think this is saying that every place Men should pray in the corporate meeting. This isn't talking about men need to pray in their homes. Because he says, uh, without quarreling, without anger. So when you come together, don't quarrel with each other, men. Pray. So we see this is explicitly commanded in the apostles' directions to the church. When you come together, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings must be made. The men must pray. So we see that the corporate prayer is explicitly commanded. So let's summarize. What have we learned in this very quick uh, survey of the New Testament Well, we've seen over and over and over again these second-person plural directives when it talks about the corporate prayer meeting of you all, you all, that it's, it's, it, prayer is so much a corporate aspect of the life of church and it comes out in how it's discussed and commanded in the New Testament. The secondly, in many ways, corporate prayer is an assumption uh, that if God is going to bless this, He's assuming that we are coming together to do this. In corporate prayer, God promises a special blessing to answer and to be present. We learn from the book of Acts that when the church prays, it's the whole church that prays. It's not a few spiritual elite people that pray. It's the the whole church is praying, is interceding. The epistles show us clearly a praying church, and they explicitly command us to pray. 
So this is our foundation as we study corporate prayer. And we'll come back to many of these texts as we work out some, some details of this. But uh, this provides a clear foundation that the, the, the Bible clearly commands that the church should gather together corporately to pray. So biblical truth guides our practice as a church. It's not pragmatics. That we come to our conviction that this is what the Bible commands and then this is what we do, rather than, well, you know, people are busy. You, you really can't have a prayer meeting these days. It's just, you've got to be understanding. Uh, <clears throat> that's starting with pragmatics. We start with biblical truth. And then we work out from there. So that's our exegetical foundation for which we'll uh, complete our study of corporate prayer meetings. Now we come to by way of of application uh, from this. What do we learn? I want to apply this text uh, to two entities. One, to churches uh, as a whole and to then individuals that make up those churches. And once again, some of these may or may not apply to this church or may or may not apply to you. But I, in order to be fulsome, I want to apply it fully. So to the church, and, and these are applications by way of questions. So a local, after this body of information is, is learned, a local church should ask a question, do you have a prayer meeting? Do you have a specific service devoted to prayer? It's not just, well, we pray and worship. Uh, This is a service or a significant portion of a service that is devoted, that the whole congregation is is praying. Do you have a prayer meeting? Many, many churches don't anymore. Secondly, do the leaders of these churches attend the prayer meeting? Paul Miller in his book writes an example of, uh, he had a friend attend a very large church that had a very famous preacher as a pastor. And in his sermon, the pastor comments that there will be a prayer meeting uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. And uh, the, the man was excited. Wow, they actually have a prayer meeting and and this is exciting. And so he shows up. It was to be at 7 o'clock. And he gets there. And no one's there. And by 7.20, maybe a few people scraggle in. And at 7.45, an assistant pastor or so comes in, uh, gives some sort of devotional, says a prayer, and closes the meeting. And so the, the senior pastor of this church didn't even attend the prayer meeting. It's ostentatious pride as a spiritual leader to be absent from corporate prayer meetings. That spiritual leaders must attend these because that is the source of the power of the ministry of the church. Thirdly, is the prayer meeting given a biblical basis and vision? Is the prayer meeting cast and implemented on a biblical basis? What's the biblical basis? It's a command from God where the church has a unique promise 
of God's presence and answer in prayer. Sometimes prayer meetings, what's the basis of the prayer meeting? Why do you guys have a prayer meeting? Well, we've always had a prayer meeting. That's just what we do. It's, it's based on tradition, or it's, or it's based on pragmatics. The problem is when tradition or is no longer in style, or it no longer becomes pragmatic, then that goes away. So I think one of the reasons for the decline of prayer meetings... Sunday evening services in our, in our nation is due in part because they weren't grounded with a biblical basis. And so when that's no longer popular, uh, to do such gatherings, we'll, we'll get rid of them because, well, we, we realize we didn't really have a biblical foundation. Rather than the Bible commands this, so we will do it. So does the church have a prayer meeting that has a biblical basis and vision? And now to the individual. Do you attend this biblically sanctioned prayer meeting? And now you're saying, oh, here we go. I knew this was coming. This series is about filling up the prayer meeting room, isn't it? (laughs) Okay. I wasn't expecting an amen. <laughs> My goal is not fundamentally to fill up the prayer meeting room. I'm not going to nag, plead, hoot, and holler until people with guilty consciences are dragged into the prayer meeting room so that so we, we fill the room. You say, well, I better show up to prayer meeting now because we're preaching on prayer meetings and it just won't look good if I'm not... I'm not showing up. Well, yes, let's increase our participation, but let's increase our participation for the right reason. That I would like the prayer meeting room to be filled with people with the spirit-wrought conviction of the goodness and blessing of this meeting who, who eagerly and joyfully attend. And that's an application to all of us even to those who regularly attend, do you attend it joyfully with eager and expectation? I'm, we, we will meet God with a unique blessing as we come together to pray to Him. And secondly, we must note that you know some people are providentially hindered from their from attending the corporate prayer meeting, and that's okay. If, if for some legitimate reason, uh, whether with your employment or family life, it, it's, it, it's difficult to get there. It's, it's not about making you feel guilty or ashamed. But if you are able and you do not attend this regular prayer meeting, prayerfully consider this exposition. Prayerfully consider these texts and this biblical foundation and ask yourself, why, why, why would not I attend this? Why would I not come together? Why would I miss out on this blessing from God of coming together in united prayer with the saints? So do you attend the prayer meeting? Secondly, do you seek to uphold and respect this biblical 
duty. I don't think so much here, but prayer meeting is often surrounded by sort of negative, toxic language. It can easily get a bad rap. It's boring. Uh, uh, prayer meeting, it's just a bunch, it just becomes a health report. Or people just, prayer meeting is the gossip session. Or, you know, it, on and on and on, we, we make excuses about uh, what prayer meeting is. And those may be legitimate concerns that a prayer meeting is mismanaged and it becomes something then other than it should be. But if we use our negative language, what can happen is people begin to diss the prayer meeting. It can begin to be discussed as if it were peripheral. And negative comments abound. So whether you attend the prayer meeting or not, you must uphold and respect this biblical duty. You must not speak down on it. You must not diss it. You must not marginalize it. But you should hold it in its highest regard, which is what the Scriptures do. So in our conversations with one another, let's, let's hold high this biblical duty that God calls us to come together joyfully and to, to intercede and to pray. And He is with us when we, when we do that. And He promises to answer according to this will. So these are our applications that I see out of this. So hopefully we are not wearied now, but this lays the foundation for us for future studies of why we should have corporate prayer meetings, and my desire is in the future to flesh this out uh, even more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you, the sovereign holy God, would, metaphorically speaking, bend your ear to hear our pitiful prayers whether as individuals or as a congregation. But we thank you that you do. We thank you, Lord, uh, that you hear our prayers. We thank you that you do give a, a special promise that when your people come together and pray, you are with them. And we are thankful, as we can look back on, on many of our requests that we have prayed for in a prayer meeting that you have answered. And so that is because you have promised. And uh, we are blessed because of that. Increase our uh, respect and obedience to this wonderful uh, service that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.